Hello there, this is Jason Dees, and this is the Think Through It podcast. Think Through It exists to help people think through the big questions of life and culture. On the Think Through It podcast, we'll be talking with friends, cultural influencers, and forward thinkers about the things that all of us need to be thinking about. Today, we'll be talking with my longtime friend and one of the best biblical scholars I know, Jim Hamilton, about how to understand the Bible. Dr. Hamilton has written numerous books on biblical theology. He's a professor at Southern Seminary, and he is the pastor of Kenwood Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And I couldn't think of a better guest to help us better understand God's Word. You know, every year about this time, a lot of people who've started Bible reading plans get a little bogged down. They made it through Genesis, they've made it through the first half of Exodus, and then they get to the second half of Exodus, and then they get to Leviticus, and then they get to Numbers, and they get really confused as to what's going on. If you can relate to this at all, I think you will find this conversation about how to study and interpret the Bible incredibly helpful. So thanks for joining Jim Hamilton and me as we think through it. Well, Jim, I think we first met uh, at a very historic place, Oxford University, and uh, this was, I believe, 2005. That's right. Which we've almost been friends for 15 years. This is our time flies. 14-year friend anniversary, Jim. Hallelujah. And uh, we were over there in Oxford. I was a young single lad uh, just running around the streets of the old city. And you um, were a bright, young, brilliant, young seminary professor. Um, now you come here uh, with a little gray in your hair, a little more <laughs> wisdom. Obviously, you've time uh, flies. I know you've you've published many books now, and um, uh, and you have how many children do you have again? We have five kids. Yeah. How about you? Three. 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 I am I'm no Jim Hamilton, um, but I try. I try. Um, but I even remember on that trip, I don't think you had any, uh, children at that time, but you did have your sweet wife, Jill. That's I re- right. We did have one at the time. Oh, you had one. Yeah. Okay. But it was just a baby. That's right. He was, he was, a, so it was 2005. He was born in 03. Okay. So but his two. second birthday had not yet hit. I see. Yeah. yeah so you, uh, I remember, uh, you know, I would go out with Ben Dockery to go find somebody to talk to on the streets of Oxford or, you know, get into a conversation but but uh, Jim would go back to his room to call his sweet wife That's Jill. Right. That's and exactly right. I thought, man, I wish, I wish I had a sweet wife Jill. But <laughs> the, uh, it wouldn't be for a few years. Uh, but now I do have a wonderful wife and three kids, so I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Well, I'm excited about the conversation uh, that we're going to have today. It seems like, and maybe I'm just reading into this, you know, but it, it seems like we're kind of in this moment, Jim, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it, uh, where people are trying to build a theology or a Christianity, maybe a theology is a strong word for it, but, but a kind of Christianity that is, is Bible-less, um, certainly not considering the full scope of the Bible. Um, so am I, am I reading this correctly? Are you seeing that? Um, I mean, and maybe that's something that Christians have always, or people have always tried to do. I think that it is an, an ancient attempt. I mean, it, you could trace it all the way back to Marcion. Right. Um, and then I think the liberals of the, of the post-Enlightenment period, they were largely trying to 
to revise Christianity apart from the Bible or to, to apologize for Christianity and make it acceptable to the culture by removing the opprobrium brought by the Bible. Um, and, you know, I think it's like trying to play basketball without a court or without a ball. I mean, you know, you can play a game, but it's going to be a different enterprise altogether. It's, it's something totally different. Right. Yeah, it's a made-up game. Right. Yeah. Um, so basically you're saying without the foundation of Scripture, we really can't have the faith that is once and for all delivered to the saints. We really can't have the faith that is Christianity. I think that's right, because the Bible ultimately is our, it's our source of authority. It is, it is where God reveals himself to us. And if we are not responding to God's own revelation of himself, then we're just going with our best intuitions or our best attempts to come up with good ideas or whatever we think will be palatable to the culture and maybe most meaningful to the culture. Uh, so we really need... We, we need to have the claim, we need to have the understanding that God reveals himself in his word. Yeah. And that that is the, the benchmark, the authority, the guardrail, the boundary. It, it's, it, it's everything to us. So you, you mentioned Marcion earlier, second century guy that tried to build a faith, a Christianity, uh, particularly without the Old Testament. Now, I've even heard some guys, like I remember Christopher Hitchens one time, I think I read an article that he wrote, that said Christians were crazy to bind themselves to the Old Testament. Um, and now they've, in doing so, they've created an enterprise that cannot be defended. And then obviously he went into t things that are in the Old Testament that modern people find offensive or, or whatever. And so it was, was Marcion, you know... I, I mean, obviously, you know, I think I know what you're going to say here, but, you know, there is a sense of maybe Marcion was right or maybe Christians should take a page out of Marcion, at least for our external facing witness. Uh, are we wise to do that and tell people kind of get in and we're able to disciple them a little bit? And then we'll say, we got this other thing, too. It's the Old Testament and you're going to have to be mature to handle it. But let's just start with Luke or something like that. I mean, well, I think the problem with that is that you're you are using a standard taught to you by the Bible, a standard of, of what you perceive to be right and wrong, good and evil, and then you're applying it negatively to the Bible. And with Christopher Hitchens, I remember Douglas Wilson at one point in their conversation, their debate, asking him, how do we know what good is? How do we know what evil is? And, and Hitchens really had no response to that. So Ultimately, it is God's revelation of himself and, it, and his own righteous character that informs our perception that we might respond negatively to certain things that, let's say, God calls Israel to do in the Old Testament. But we only have that negative response if we don't allow God's standards to be applied in these situations. So it's, it's like we're picking and choosing yeah. which aspects of God's character we're going to apply, and then it's like we want to pick up an aspect of God's character, let's say his compassion or his mercy or his loving kindness or something, and we, we want to aim it against the righteous application of his wrath, let's say. And we just have no basis for doing that. We have no standing to, to do that. Yeah, I've said that secularism is the child of Christianity, right? So secular people, obviously secularism predominantly coming out of the West, coming out of Western civilization built by Christianity. 
Secular people are, are like kids that are rebelling against their parents, right? And so secularism is most harsh. It's not, it, it is harsh, and Hitchens, you know, proves this toward other religions or, you know, toward Eastern religions or Middle Eastern religions, but it's most harsh toward Christianity, just like a kid is most disrespectful to his own parents, not just to adults in general. Um, and so anyway, to your point, the kid that's disrespectful to his parents has no concept. Usually we would say that person's immature. Uh, they have no concept of what their parents have actually given them. Mm. And so this is kind of what you're saying. That, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think it's also correct what Tim Keller says when he, he describes the way that some, some Christian virtues and values have been absolutized and then directed against Christianity. And when that happens, it becomes unbalanced and it becomes unhinged from its ultimate authority, and it, and it really fails ultimately. Well, let's go back to the Old Testament, though, because let me, let's be honest, Jim, uh, in the moment that we're in, uh, there are some things that you read in the Old Testament um, that can be found a little troubling or a little disturbing. I mean, I've often said that the Bible is not G-rated. Uh, and so help us to give us some tips, give us some helps in reading the Old Testament, maybe particularly for a new Christian that, um, you know, that hasn't read God's glory and salvation through judgment, that, that, that hasn't maybe, doesn't have maybe the, the experience that you and I have had to be taught by great minds and, and have, uh, you know, a lot of access to biblical studies. What are some practical tips that you would give a new Bible reader when they come across a passage, particularly maybe in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, that they find particularly troubling or hard to understand? So there's a guy named Robert Alter who was a literary critic, and he wrote this book called How to Read a Book. Yeah. And he said, what we need to do is we need to come to terms with our author. So I think when we read the Bible, we have to come to terms with the the assumptions that the biblical authors are making and the, the claims that the biblical authors are making. And we have to read the narrative within the story world that the Bible actually presents to us. And then we, then we can step back and ask the question, do I think that story world co corresponds to the real world? So if we, if we start there, if we say, okay, the Bible is claiming that in its story world, the God of the Bible has created the world and he's created everything good and it was defiled by humanity, and humanity had fair warning that if they defiled the very good world, they would die. Well, I think what we, what we come away from the opening chapters with is the idea that actually God has been very merciful to humanity. Yeah. And, and they've, they've really forfeited the right to go on living, and he's allowed them to go on living. And then as the Bible presents him as the moral authority in the universe that he made, this is his world. So I think a good, a good analogy that I used recently with a guy that I was um, talking with about the Bible and Christianity, this guy's a father. I said, Ima imagine if you made great sacrifices to build this, this wonderful home for your family, and you tried to build the room so that your children would be safe, and you tried to put in a swimming pool so that they would have a delightful afternoon in the sun, and, and you did all these great things for your kids. And, and then your wife, whom you had tried to provide for and protect, began to commit adultery on you in that home. And your children became drug addicts and made that home into a, a place where they were trafficking illegal substances. And then they began throwing these parties. And then they began to say 
that you, the one who had actually built the house and provided all this for them, you actually didn't exist at all. They begin to ignore your presence and, and deny your existence. Well, you would be righteously indignant about all of this. Right. And, and you would be right to call the police and try to get the illegal activity stopped. And you'd be right to apply justice to the situation. Yeah, that's that's very very helpful. So, I mean, I guess just the the simple tip is, you know, get to know the story world that all of this is happening within. And I guess another tip is just keep reading the Bible. Ah, that's exactly right. That's yeah. the best tip. Keep, keep going. Reading. That's right. Keep yeah. reading. That's yeah. right. Just keep going. And I think that's where I think I find most Christians I know have a uh, a habit, uh, a rhythm of their life where they just read the kind, the parts of scripture that are maybe more conducive to um, the modern story world, uh, to use that as a, um, you know, as a helpful kind of framework tool. Um, how, so how would you advise, you know, those, those Christians? Or do you see the same thing? Well, yes, yeah, so they're, they're I, ignorant to the full story. That's right, and and I think we live in a in a day when it is, it is so easy to get access to the scriptures, wide access to the scriptures, and and the the ways in which we can access the scriptures are simply astonishing. So, there's a guy in our church, uh, Gabe Molnar, who challenged our whole church. He's one of our elders, to to engage in a through the Bible in a year program, and. He suggested that we all use the ESV Study Bible plan that is that is in, it's built into the free ESV app that you can get on an iPhone or yeah. any other smartphone. You can download this free ESV app from Crossway. And on the iPhone, there's this little calendar, and you touch that calendar, and it brings up the e- a bunch of reading plans, but you can you know choose this ESV Study Bible plan. And then... It, you can select the day's reading, and there's this little speaker, and you can touch the speaker yeah, and hit yeah. play, and this guy will read the Bible to you. I mean, it's like having a paid servant who's in your back pocket all the time. And uh, so it is so easy to to read the or to be exposed to Bible intake. And and with this this kind of program, you can hit play on this and just let let Genesis play while you're uh, taking a bath or in the shower or, uh, as you said earlier, doing lawn work or driving. I mean, the possibilities are endless, the, the times that you can access the scriptures. Yeah, I mean, it, you're you're right. There's really no excuse. I mean, you know, mine, I actually use the, the Bible app, like the version Bible app, and there's tons of different reading plans on there. I'm actually doing a little Ligonier reading program right now. But it even like sends me an alert, uh, you know. Mm. So it reminds me, yes. uh, oh yeah, you need to do this. Yeah. And so I don't even have to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, like you said, it, it's very easy to be exposed to to scripture. Um, let's talk a little bit more about now the New Testament because you know, most Christians that I know they like the New Testament, they stay in the New Testament, but there is some parts of the New Testament that kind of can be confusing. Um, you know, I mean, obviously as Christians, we, we have, or at least as evangelical Christians, we have this high view of faith in Christ, of the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, that's very central to our faith. Uh, but what about all the rest of the stuff in there? Uh, and why is that so important? Uh, you know, even in reading the gospels, uh, you know, it seems that in our, at least theology, we so emphasize the cross, we so emphasize 
the resurrection. And again, I think that's good mm-hmm. and right. But when I'm reading about, you know, Christ, his miracles, his interaction with the disciples, what am I to make of those things? Right. If everything has been completed and done in Christ, on the cross, and in his resurrection, uh, what am I to make of, of kind of the rest of the narrative? We'll just start with that question of the Gospels, uh, and why is that important to me? Well, I think trying to read just the New Testament is a little bit like trying to read Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows and ignoring the first six books. You can kind of make sense of the story, and, and it'll, it can be a standalone you know, project that you read by itself. But if you read the rest, it will be so much richer and deeper. It will mean so much more to you that because, because of all of this, this buildup that really can't be replicated in the seventh book. And, and uh, not only do you have this tremendous payoff from working through the Old Testament to get to the New Testament, th- the Old Testament, and really the whole Bible, it is the greatest story in existence. It is the greatest book in the world. There, there is no book in the world like the Psalms. There is no book in the world like the book of Isaiah. And to, to go to the book of Genesis and read um, this inspired account of and Moses's account of where the world came from and how things got going, it's it's just such an enormous privilege to have access to this information and to to be exposed to these these narratives and these poems and these prophecies that that their value and their importance cannot be overstated. Well, and just to kind of build on that, I mean, maybe how I would answer you know the question, and you've you've said this, but maybe a little more pointedly. You can't understand what Jesus is doing in the cross and resurrection, one, but in the healing of the leprous man or any other thing that's going on, unless, like you said, you've read the first six books. I mean, mm-hmm. unless you've read right. um, the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that answers the question of why the New Testament authors put all this stuff in there. Obviously, we believe that they are being led along and inspired by the Spirit of God. Um, but why is the Spirit inspiring them to write what they're writing? Right. And why is maybe even Jesus doing what he's doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's one complete narrative. That's right. And because it it doesn't, like you said, the, the end doesn't make sense without uh, the beginning. Um, that's very helpful. I mean, anything more you want to say on that? Yes. Yeah, so in, in the ancient world and, and in the world that the biblical authors lived in, um, their, their sacred writings, their sacred stories, were meant to shape their understanding of the world. So there was a guy, a, a, like a Greco-Roman character, who made this comment about his dad. He said, my father wanted me to learn the whole of Homer by heart so that I would be a virtuous man. And what he's saying is that by reading these stories that Homer told, the Iliad and the Odyssey, right, yeah. you, you learn what righteous action is, what noble action is. You learn where, what dishonorable conduct looks like. And so the story really shapes your, your understanding of the world. And in the New Testament... But that's it, why they were being written. That, that's, the Aeneid, I mean, yeah. yeah same, Aeneid is the same story, but he, he's even better than Homer. Right, right. Because the Romans thought they were better than that's right. the lousy they, Greeks. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So, so the biblical authors, um, they are... They're, they're presenting to us a world, like let's say that the Gospel of Matthew. If we drop into the Gospel of Matthew and we start reading, there are going to be things that we encounter that are simply not going to make sense to us because we come to those things from our world with our expectations. 
But if we've gone back and 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 gone deep and come to term with come to terms with the Old Testament authors, then when we come to the author of the Gospel of Matthew, this author Matthew, we're going to see he's interpreting things the same way that Isaiah was interpreting things, the same way that that Solomon was interpreting things, the same way that David was interpreting things. And they've all learned this from Moses. So that so that Matthew's world is the world of in terms of his his interpretive perspective, his world is the world of Moses. And, and if we don't live in the world of Moses and have that reinforced by uh, Samuel and, and Kings and, and, and Jeremiah and, and uh, Solomon and Ecclesiastes, when we come to Matthew, it's simply not going to make sense to us. Yeah, and you know, to use your earlier illustration, you know, when you read the story of the sirens, it's not that people were actually encountering sirens but they can learn something of temptation or a friendship or a number of other things by knowing that story well. Now, the difference in the Bible, obviously, in real life, there aren't really sirens that right. sing in an island somewhere. Right. But there really was a group of people called Israel that crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Amen. And that's what, of course, you know, that's the amazing thing about Scripture is it is it does have this mythological power about it, but it's the true myth. It's the... It's the story that is real that then still speaks. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What about the words of Jesus, right? Isn't the, isn't the words of Jesus, I mean, I hear this a lot too, because some people say, well, you know, Jesus never addressed this or Jesus never spoke about this. And so obviously when I read my Bible, if I come to a red letter, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to like really pay attention and the rest is just supposed to be background kind of noise, right? I mean, isn't that... Well, is it that how I'm supposed to read my Bible? Well, if you read it that way, you're really not paying attention to what Jesus himself said, are you? Because Jesus authorized these apostles and and sent them as his representatives, and he promised them that when he went away, he would send the Holy Spirit who would lead them into all truth. And so at the heart of Christianity is this idea that the Lord Jesus himself has authorized these men who speak for him and who represent him and who take his message to the ends of the earth. And the writings of those men and the the message of those men is contained in the New Testament. And and so if you don't embrace the whole of the New Testament, you're really not embracing Jesus. Yeah, and and I actually would even apply that to what the Spirit had spoken is the revelation of Christ. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so any passage, whether it's Isaiah or Luke, I always say, hear now the word of Christ, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, when I when I preach or when I read the Bible, because I want us to hear the instruction of the Lord right. in what we're listening to. Right. Um, well, uh, if I'm new to reading the Bible, mm-hmm. okay, brand new Bible reader, what resources, um, you know, maybe the Robert Alter book would be a helpful book, but how to read a book. It's a great book. Yeah. But uh, how, what are some resources that you would recommend uh to me if I'm a new Bible reader. So the first thing I, th- I think is just a, a copy of the scriptures that is in readable English. And and I, I personally use the ESV, but I think there are good translations out there. The, the NAS, the, the CSB, the, uh, you know, I, I have some, um, some hangups with some of the other translations, so I'll just leave them unnamed, but they're, they're easy to find. Um, these translations are remarkable gifts to us. The fact that we have the Bible in our own language is, is just a, an incredible privilege. So the, the first thing you need is a translation of the Bible. And then from there, I would look for a good study Bible. And there are lots of good options. There's 
There's the ESV study Bible, and then there are a lot of other options from, from Crossway. Um, Zondervan has recently come out with this biblical theolo- theological study Bible. Um, there, there are many good options on study Bibles, and it's helpful to have some guidance as you read. It's almost, I really like um, when I go to a museum or historical site, I love to get the audio tour yes. so that I can walk around and punch in information and let someone who's studied this and who's thought about it tell me what to look for in this site. And, um, um, you know, I, I, I wrote this book, God's Glory and Salvation Through Judgment, and I sort of had that uh, in mind of that being used like a guided tour of the Bible. And mm. there's a Bible reading plan that you could use with that book. So there are lots of other books, but the main thing I, th- I would encourage people to do is to get the scriptures and then, and then uh, focus on Bible intake, whether that's through listening orally to um, an audio book, an audio Bible, or, or whatever. But if you, do, if you do that option, you can hit play on that thing. And if, if you're listening to the Bible while you're getting breakfast going or while you're shaving in the morning or whatever the case may be, you'll be surprised at how much narrative you can get through mm-hmm. in, in a really relatively short amount of time. Um, so it's a great thing just to just to be exposed to and the you Bible. Know, I haven't used the ESV Bible in that regard with the speaker, but I on the little Bible app, the U version, um, you can even listen in double speed. Mm. You know, and so mm. they even have you can listen get twice as much Bible in right. while shaving. Yeah. So, um, and then you know, I would just encourage. I would add to that. You know, we have this little booklet here that we use called the Rhythms Booklet, and if you're a Christ Covenant member and you're listening, get the Rhythms Booklet. There's a Bible reading plan in there, and hopefully there's other people in the church that are going to be reading the same passages as you, uh, because I think one of the tips that I give is read the Bible with other people, mm. uh, and then you have accountability, but then you also have somebody to talk to uh, about what you're reading, mm-hmm. and if you're within a local church too, and I certainly invite that here, you know, if there's something in the Bible that you find confusing, you know, ask one of your elders, ask mm-hmm. ask one of the teachers that God has put over the church, and I certainly speak for myself and all of the guys that we would be happy to try to answer any question that uh, we can. And if we don't know the answer, we can probably help you find the answer. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. any other, any last words on how to really read the Bible? Well, just uh, to piggy, piggyback on what you said, often I think people, whatever church they're attending, and, and it, if you're not attending a church and you're wanting to understand the scriptures, you should start attending a church somewhere that's that's preaching and teaching the Bible. And typically you can find out from that church what passage is going to be preached the following Sunday. And um, one thing that we do in our home is we, we try to do with the family. In the evenings, before we put the kids to bed, we try to read the scripture that's going to be preached every night leading up to that Sunday. So this Sunday at Kenwood Baptist Church, 1 Corinthians 13 is going to be preached. And um, in, our, in our home, we've been reading that passage in the evenings, and we just try to read it over and over again. And then when we come in on Sunday morning, we're more, more ready to hear the Word. Yeah, that's, that's very helpful. And again, with the Little Rhythms book, if you remember Christ's Covenant, we've actually published those, I think, through March. Hmm. And so you can, you can be reading each week ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So, Well, this has been so helpful, Jim. Thank you for this. It's been good for me. I hope it's been good for you. So for Jim Hamilton, this is Jason Dees encouraging you to think through it.